I have a little bit of a cold, so John, some of those songs when we sang high, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't get up there. My, my throat was like... All right, so uh, I just called this the Jesus Quiz. I put it together this week, but it's related to what we're talking about. So, and I have, I'm going, to, I'm going to be reading off what I call a large print version because I can't read the 11-point font that I printed in, all right? So mark true or false. All right, I just put <laughs> true or false, please put an X in the appropriate box. Then I added filling in the box completely or using a check mark will be counted as incorrect and will result in great wrath, condemnation, and mockery, all right? But you're not going to turn these in. It's not going to be a Scantron thing. All right, question one. Uh, I believe Jesus lived a life free from fear and anxiety. All right, answer it. Question two, I believe Jesus lived a life filled with constant peace and joy. You might think, oh, I can mark them all true. I don't know. I believe Jesus loved his neighbor as much as he loved himself. I, mean, I want you to think about real life Jesus, too. I believe Jesus never lied, never stretched the truth, and never tried to manipulate others with his words. So before you mark all true, number five, I believe Jesus cheered wholeheartedly for Purdue in all sports. So that one you can decide what you want on that one. I'm just, I was trying to throw something in there so you wouldn't be just marking true down the line, all right? Number six, I believe Jesus lived a life free of anger, envy, lust, and covetousness. Sometimes we don't always, we don't always think of Jesus in these terms. Number seven, I believe Jesus lived a life in which he was neither paralyzed by nor humiliated by the dislike and condemnation of others. Number eight, this is my favorite question. I believe Jesus loved broccoli and ate it whenever possible. If you don't put true for that one, you're, you're damned to hell. Sorry. Not really, not really. Yeah, I have, a, I have an irrational love of broccoli. I still don't understand it. Uh, number nine, I believe Jesus loved and forgave his enemies over and over. Number ten, I believe Jesus lived a life full of love for the unlovely, the outcasts, and really sinful people. Number 11, I believe Jesus regularly asked God to bless those who mistreated him, mocked him, and hated him. Number 12, I believe Jesus never forgave nor blessed anyone who offered him lima beans at a meal. All right, that's my other I, lima beans. I think I said this before. Lima beans didn't exist until after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. It was part of the curse, came along with thorns. Number 13, I believe Jesus joyfully gave 10% of his income to the work of the temple and regularly gave to those in need. I believe Jesus, number 14, I believe Jesus obeyed everything God told him to do. So, so far, I have two more questions I'm going to put on the screen in a second, but I, I put those questions together because I thought sometimes it's hard to, th we don't always think of Jesus having to do like almost these kind of things like loved his enemies over and over again. Um, he asked God to bless those who mistreated him. He was free of anger, envy, lust, and covetousness. All right, we, you know, we put those in real life terms. So here's question 15 on the screen, all right? 15, I am living my life like Jesus lived his life. In other words, apart from question, what, 5, 8, and 12, could you say those things true about you? If you put your name in, and of course I'm assuming none of us could say totally yes. You know, if you could do a, a global replace for the word Jesus and put in the name Bill or your name or whatever, would you say it's true about those? And, we read those, and I'm assuming that you're like me. There's a number of them. I'd be like, ah, I'm not there yet, all right? Number 16, though, last question is this. Jesus, I believe Jesus clearly taught and confidently believes that I can become the kind of person who lives my life like he lived his life. All right, I'm saying that because we read these things about Jesus and the things about how, this is how he lived his life. He was forgiving. He, was, he blessed others, things like that. 
I don't know, I mean, in our heads, of course we probably do, I don't know that we always believe this is true, that Jesus clearly taught and confidently believes that you and I can become the kind of person who lives our life just like he lived his life. Um, sometimes we've, we've reduced Christianity to, well, I've got to be good and do this and things like that. But if you take out the, the funny questions, the rest of these questions in here are absolutely the way Jesus believes we can live our lives naturally. I mean, with supernatural help, but we don't have to, we don't have to fake it. We don't have to fake loving our enemies. We don't have to fake being free of anger, envy, or lust. We don't have to fake uh, trying not to tell the truth. We, we naturally are people who do those things. And I, and I put this together this week because I thought one of the things that the Gospel of Matthew, doing a series called the, uh, Follow Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, there's no one like him. And one of the things that you see in the Gospel, especially in Matthew, is that when Jesus teaches, he's teaching in incredibly practical ways about how do you become the kind of person who is able to bless those who mistreat you, who is able to forgive others, who is able to love the unlovely. And those are things we don't, I'll put it this way, we know we should do, but we don't naturally do that. It's, it's, it becomes something like, oh, I know I should be that way, but it's just hard for me right now to do that. It's hard for me to to uh, love the unlovable. It's hard for me to love the outcasts. It's hard for me. It's hard for me to give my money places. It's hard for me to love people who don't love me back. But in uh, so Matthew chapter seven, which is what we're going to look at today, Matthew chapter seven is a continuance of what people, at least in the Gospel of Matthew, call the Sermon on the Mount. So he had said he had gone up on a hillside with his disciples and was teaching, and so it starts in five, it goes into six. Uh, and then it goes into seven. This is what I wrote. I, uh, sometimes if we, when we call it the Sermon on the Mount, we miss this. But this is essentially what the Sermon on the Mount was. Jesus teaches the way to live a rich and unshakable life. That's what he came to teach us. He didn't teach us how to get into heaven after we die, although that's true if we follow him. He didn't teach us how to be uh, moral people. He taught us how to live a rich and unshakable life. And when you read those statements in the True and False Quiz, those are the kind of people that live a rich and unshakable life. Jesus lived a rich and unshakable life, and he came to offer that to us too. So Matthew 7 is essentially about that. I mean, it's, it's a continuation of his Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it on this slide right now, but the very end of this chapter, because it's, it's important to understand, the very end of the chapter, it says the people walked away amazed at his teaching. Because he taught with authority. So that doesn't mean Jesus talked really loud with a loud voice and yelled and screamed. That tends to kind of be what we often think of as authority if somebody speaks. Jesus wasn't simply passionate and animated. But the things he says and the things we're looking at today, the people were amazed because he taught it in a way that he, they understood was meant for them to live. And they never heard that before. They'd been taught by these guys, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the way they taught would always be they'd referring to, well, the rabbi such and such says this, and we need to do this. And it was very, it became very legalistic and burdensome. 
so the people are listening, these guys teach, for one, they have an incredible sense of uh, condescension toward the average people, the ordinary people like us. They would look down on them and you're not good enough, you've got to try harder, you've got to work harder, and it was just overwhelming. And they spoke with human authority, but there was no life to what they were saying. So when Jesus taught, chapter 5, chapter 6, and now with chapter 7, it ends by the people saying, it says, the people said they were amazed at what he taught and how he taught because he taught with authority. And again, he wasn't screaming, he wasn't yelling, he didn't have uh, smoke and mirrors. It's just what he said, and probably the passion with which he said it was like, people were like, wow, we've never heard somebody teach like that before. So here's some of the things he says, because chapter 7, he kind of, I'm going to say Jesus jumps around, but I'm just like, he, Jesus doesn't always speak in like uh, perfect uh, outline form. But uh, so here's, here's one, there's, I've just picked out a few phrases from this. And again, he's saying we can live these kind of lives. All right, first one is this. Don't judge others. You've heard that phrase. Judge not lest you be judged is how the King James Version says it. Don't judge others. And Jesus is saying, you know, judge not lest you be judged. This is also the, pa- the, the passage where he says, why would you, when you have a log in your own eye, why do you see the speck in your friend's eye and try to point out their faults when you haven't dealt with your own? All right. Now, what's, good, what's, what's helpful to know with this passage is, of course, this passage is misused today because people will say, judge, you know, if, let's say that I'm a policeman and, and Bill Downey's driving 90 miles an hour and I pull him over and I say, uh, excuse me, Mr. Downey, you were driving too fast. I mean, and Bill, if Bill were to say to me, judge not lest you be judged, that's not the point of the passage here. The point of, because we are called in the Bible to exercise discernment. There's times in the Gospels and Jesus even exercised discernment about people and about things and about situations. So there is discerning judgment, which we're called to exercise, false teaching, true teaching, false teacher, a true teacher of the gospel. There's discerning judgment, but what Jesus is talking about here is what I'll call condemning judgment, all right? So, and here's the difference, all right? So I'm going to use these chairs here. So uh, discerning judgment is if I'm here and I'm talking to a friend of mine, let's say I'm challenging my friend of mine on a certain behavior that, that may be pushing the limits of, of what God wants. Maybe they're being deceptive. Maybe I, I see how they're treating their wife or whatever. Discerning judgment is talking to somebody this way. I'm, I'm, I'm imploring them. I'm pleading with them. I'm asking them to consider what they're doing. Condemning judgment is the moment in your spirit you're doing this. You're standing up and doing this to them. It's, it's a condemning kind of way. I'm better than you. It's what I'll call the finger wagging. Uh, the Pharisees were really good at that. So Jesus doesn't say don't exercise judgment. He's like but exercise this kind of judgment where you're person to person almost imploring them. But he says, don't, don't judge others. And again, every time Jesus was speaking, almost every time, yes, it was full of disciples around the mountain, but these guys are always there. Some of those guys are always there. So in a sense, he's kind of saying, don't, don't judge others. And I don't think Jesus would have done this, but he might have been like those, like those guys do. Because that that's how people understood spirituality. Whatever they did must be the right way. It says, don't judge, other, don't judge others and don't look at the speck in a friend's eye if you have a log in your own eye. So he's not saying don't challenge somebody, 
But he's challenged, hey, look at yourself first uh, before you point out to somebody else. So here's my question for us in this one. Who's the other in your life? When Jesus says, don't judge others, who's the other person that, if you were honest, that you're judging them in a, or you at least have the attitude of, you're, you're, you have kind of a condemning judgment. I mean, I, there are people like that for me. I, I, I think I'm better than them. I'm, I don't really think I am, but I act that way. Or sometimes it's just somebody will say something or somebody I know or I'll read something and I'll just, there's a sense of judgment. And I don't want to be that way. You don't want to be that way. So who's the other for you that you think God's wanting you to, to think about differently? And then when he says, uh, don't say to a friend of yours, let me get that speck out of your eye when you got a log in your own. Who's the friend for you? Who's the person that you would love them to see the speck in their eye? They have a speck that drives you crazy. Doesn't mean you never talk to them about it, but Jesus says, no, you got to deal with your own stuff first. Doesn't say don't ever point it out to somebody else. The New Testament is full of times when either Jesus or Paul or Peter or somebody has situations where they're pointing out to somebody else something incorrect, a false teaching, immoral behavior. It's full of that. But if the other person, if you're always looking at that speck and you're never, you're not self-aware, then, then this is what Jesus said. You can, you, you can live in such a way where you don't judge others. All right? That's, that's the first part. Then, then he says later on in the same passage, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. In the sense there is this urgency. And he's talking about prayer. So, you know, when Jesus taught, as it was common that day, the teacher would sit down. So he's not like, he, he's not, not like me. He doesn't move all around. Maybe he got up and walked around some. But he's challenging them about keep on asking, keep on knocking, Keep on seeking. Keep asking, and you're going to receive what you ask for. Keep seeking, and you'll find it. Keep knocking, and the door it will open you. For those who keep on doing those things, uh, they will receive. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. And he actually used the analogy. He said, you know, if any of you are parents, if your child asks for something, if they ask you for a cookie, you don't give them lima beans, if I can use that analogy. If you ask them for a a, a bread, you don't give them a stone. But his, his challenge to people is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Here's the question I'll ask you. I'm asking myself. What if you stop praying for? What at one time may you have prayed for something in your life, your marriage, maybe it's friends of yours, people that don't know Jesus, situations, and you prayed and maybe you prayed faithfully for a while, but you don't pray for it anymore. Not because you don't think about it, because you're wondering if God even cares. I mean, I have things that I think of pretty quickly that I know I've prayed for and prayed kind of zealously, but then you kind of get to the point where you think, I don't know, is God hearing me? Does God even want me to ask for this? So whatever it is for you, then hear the words of Jesus. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And it doesn't, he's not asking us to beg. 
He's not asking us to grovel. He's just saying the Father wants to give you good things. Even in another gospel, this same teaching, he talks about how much, if you ask how much more does God want to give you the Holy Spirit? So it's like he wants to give us more of good things and the Holy Spirit being one of those really good things. So what have you stopped asking for? And I, one of the things I do, he's not, my son's not here, he's downstairs with my wife helping with the kids, but every morning before he goes to school, and it's not like, I'm not like religious about it, but I do it almost every morning, I'll just pray, As before he leaves, I try to put my hand on his shoulders and say, Jesus, fill him with your Holy Spirit. And I, I just think God wants us to ask for that kind of stuff. Now, he doesn't all of a sudden change into the perfect individual that he's, that he, that we're all supposed to be. But I do believe, for me, it's almost a habit now, but I, I believe that I'm, I want to believe. I'm asking because I think God hears it. So again, the question is, what have you stopped asking for? Again, whether you think God is not generous, God doesn't hear you, God doesn't care, or maybe you think God can't do it. What have you stopped asking for? And maybe there's let me start that up again with some degree of diligence and urgency, not, not legalism, but Jesus, because Jesus is trying to convince people that God is a, what was the song we sang, good and gracious? He's good and gracious. So, you know, you go ask somebody good and gracious for something and you don't get it right away, you don't say, oh, you know, but you keep asking. Maybe the timing's wrong, maybe there's something else going on, but we have a good and gracious God, and so Jesus would say, he's good and gracious, keep asking. He will give you good things. Keep asking. So that's part of this teaching too. And then, and then he says, which is, we, know, we all know this from everywhere else but the Bible sometimes. Go to the next one. Um, go to the next slide. Do unto others whatever you would like them to do to you. Uh, it's called the golden rule. And I actually, when I was reading this, I thought, okay, I'm pretty sure Jesus was the first one that said this so where do we get golden out of this? Why is it called the golden rule? And I read somewhere there was some, uh, if it was an ancient Roman leader, or I can't remember if it was Roman or Syrian or whatever, was so, in, was so taken aback when they heard this statement, they had it etched in gold in their, on their uh, castle walls or whatever. So that's where the golden rule comes from. Somebody, somebody in history thought it was so insightful they had it etched in gold and this is you know this is part of the quote of quotes of Jesus that uh, you know we just call it the golden rule now but it's really Jesus teaching about how to live this full satisfying unshakable life uh do others whatever you would like them to do to you and it's it's kind of sounds kind of trite-ish we've kind of made it into a you know a kindergarten statement or a statement that shows up on Hallmark cards or whatever. But if you think about it, it's really transformative. Especially if you think about the other being somebody who's doing something that either irritates you, bugs you, or whatever. Treat them like you'd like to be treated if you made a mistake. Treat them like you'd like to be treated if you were annoying somebody you didn't know it. Treat them like you'd like to be treated, but think about those situations. It's not simply just, like I said, it's not hallmark moments. But Jesus just says this, and he actually says this summarizes the law. 
do this. In terms of human relationships, of course, the law talks about loving God. But in terms of human relationships, if I generally do for my wife what I wish she would do for how I want to be treated, or for my kids, or for somebody that irritates me, or for uh, somebody who's in need financially, if I generally think, okay, how would I want to be treated if I were them in this situation? It's, it's, it's hard. I just, I didn't do this for this sermon illustration. I even told my wife this. So I was getting some out of our, of our bathroom drawer the other day, and there was a bottle of pills that had all spilled out. And I was a little bit glad to find out they were not my pills, they were my wife's pills. I mean, they were like allergy pills. And I thought, boy, she needs the, and it was all over the place in the drawer. She forgot to put the cap on. And I thought, boy, she needs to pick up all those little bitty pills that are all over the drawer. And I actually thought, and God often does this when I'm working on a sermon, I actually felt like God said to me, well, doing it to others of you would have them do to you. And I was like, well, I don't want to clean it up, God. She's the one who didn't put the cap on, right? Well, what if you did that? Wouldn't you like it if she cleaned up after you? Well, she does all the time, God, right? So there's really practical ways, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that even this week or today, something comes up where you have a chance to do for somebody something you wished people would do for you if you were in the same situation, right? So, and, but Jesus is saying we can live that kind of way. We can, we can do that, it, and it's natural to us, all right? So then the last part of the, part of the last part of chapter 7, he says this, anyone, and this kind of goes back to the, the Jesus quiz, and it's really all the teaching of Jesus, really. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and puts it into practice is wise. And he says, is wise like a man who builds his house on a solid rock. And he contrasts that with somebody who builds their house on sand. And his whole point is, because when the storm comes, when the storm comes, the soul of this person is solid and immovable and unshakable. That's the word I used at the beginning of the sermon, unshakable. This person collapses. So it seems to be that it's really important to Jesus that we listen to what he says and put it into practice. Not just listen to what he says, but listen to what he says and put it into practice. I, used, I mean, John coaches, what, tennis, cross country. I mean, if you've ever been in athletics or even in music, a coach can tell you something, and you're just thinking the fact the coach told you that, you're going to do it, but you don't practice it. You don't, in terms of muscle memory, you don't learn it unless you practice it. You know, whether it's swinging a tennis racket, swinging a baseball bat, shooting a free throw, whatever it is. Just because the coach tells you the right way to do it doesn't make all of a sudden that's how you do it because you have to practice it. So when Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and then puts it into practice, it's really wise. And you might think, well, what, what does that look like, though? So when Jesus tells us not to judge, how do I put that into practice? When he tells us to love our enemies, how do I put that into practice? Um, I think I've told you before that uh, there's been times where I've sent um, anonymously either money or gift cards to nice restaurants, not White Castle, nice restaurants, to people who I felt like I was supposed to bless them because I considered them somebody who hurt me. 
bless those who hurt you. Because I thought, I've got to put this into practice. All right? I've got to put it into practice. And did it make me overnight all of a sudden be excited about seeing this person again? No. But something in my heart changed. All right? So we're, we're going to put something else into practice here. Close your eyes. Close your eyes for a second. All right? I want you to think about somebody that it's really easy for you to judge them in a condemning way. All right? They annoy you, they irritate you, there's something they're doing at work, something you're doing in your home, and you just, maybe you're at your wit's end with that, and maybe you're not, but I want you to think of somebody that really, they really bug me, all right? So how do we put it into practice? Because our natural inclination is, I'm going to judge them. I'm going to have this mentality toward them, and I'm better than them because they're irritating me, all right? But how do we put it into practice? Well, one of the things I had in this little Jesus questionnaire that Jesus regularly blessed those who hurt him. And maybe the person you're thinking of isn't hurting you, but they're irritating you, all right? So I want you to, we're going to do one of these whisper things again. I want you to think of that, per, and this is harder than it actually sounds, because I've done it before, and it's harder than it sounds, all right? I want you to think of that person, all right? So let's say the person's name is, I don't know, John, all right? I want you to whisper, God, I want you to bless John, all right? And if you're like me, when you hear yourself say it in a whisper, it's harder to say it than you think because you're like, no, I don't want you to bless John. I want you to actually curse him because he's driving me crazy. I want you to change him. I want you to do this. I want you... But no, no, just, Jesus regularly blessed those who hurt him, all right? So I'm going to say one, two, three. I want you to whisper just loud enough. And if you don't want to say the person's name in case somebody next to you might hear their name, then I don't know. But God, I want you to bless blank, all right? All right, whisper it out loud just so you can have one, two, three. God, I want you to bless. So we, that's, you can open your eyes again. So that's, we put it into practice. Maybe if somebody is really irritating and you're finding yourself having judgmental notions toward them all the time, maybe your only prayer of the morning is, God, I want you to bless John today. Inside, you're going to be like, no, I don't. But you're, if you hear yourself say it, you actually start moving that direction and God starts changing your soul. So you've got to put things into practice. You can't just say, well, I'm supposed to bless him. No, you, 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 don't, you're, you don't live in the shoulds and what I'm supposed to do. Just do it. God, I want you to bless him. I mean, that's what Jesus... When Jesus was on the cross and, and he's dying and they've tortured him, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's asking God to, to basically bless these people who tortured him. So whether it's, and even, even so that's, that's on that issue, but even on putting into practice, you know, keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. Maybe the thing you've stopped praying for, maybe at least do it for the next seven days. When they wake up in the morning, whenever God brings us to the mind, just say, God, I, I'm asking for this. Just ask. Put it into practice. Seven days, you can do it. But it, so whether it's that or doing to others what you wish they would do to you, I'm, gonna ho I'm hoping that God will put something in our lives, all of our lives this week, where we don't want to do something for others, but then we think if that was me, I'd want them to do it for me. All right. Because what Jesus says is, anyone who listens to my teaching and puts it into practice is wise. 
It's wise like a person who builds a solid house on a solid rock. Because he said, when the storms come, which the assumption is they will come, Life's, this side of heaven, life is going to be, uh, there's going to be potholes, there are going to be engine stops or whatever, all kinds of issues. Some really traumatic for us. And Jesus is, that's why I said the start of us, Jesus is telling us how to live an unshakable life. A satisfying, unshakable, full of joy, full of peace kind of life. All right. And so, if, so if there's something that you're thinking, well, I got to put it into practice, well, let God, ask God, how do I put this into practice? Whether it's uh, forgiving somebody, whether it's, I mean, there's been times where I felt really stressed about money. I haven't done this lately, and I uh, have a $20 bill in my wallet, and I'm like, hey, God, I, I want you to tell me who to give this to. Because I need to put it into practice holding my money more loosely, especially when I'm stressed about money. One time I gave it to the lady who worked at Midas. One time I gave it to a friend of mine who I know needed money, but I didn't tell him it was me. I just put it on a place where I knew he'd find it. So whatever, wherever you feel like your uh, growth edge is, God is gracious. He'll show you how to put something into practice so that part of your soul actually grows. And then you become the wise person with a house on the rock. So just ask, ask God, what do you, what do I, how do I practice right now what's hard for me? You don't practice what's easy for you. Practice what's hard for you. So, uh, again, because back to what I said in the opening slide and I've said every week, Jesus, Paul, Matthew's encouraged us to follow Jesus because there is no one like him. Everything in the, every one of these questions in this little quiz, Jesus lived that way, and we would all, I can't imagine anybody would say, no, I don't want to live that way. We would all love to live that way. And it's possible. Jesus said it's possible. Listen to his teaching, put it into practice. Listen to his teaching, put it into practice. It's possible to be that kind of person who naturally does these things. All right? So let's pray. So God, um, we want to be really, really good students of Jesus. We don't want to be students of religion. We don't want to be good church people. We don't simply want to be uh, moral people who people admire because we're good. We want to be students of Jesus who put into practice everything he's taught us so we can become the kind of people who naturally do the very things that we bring life and goodness and joy to the world around us. And we experience joy and peace even in situations where there is no joy and peace, at least not rationally. So Jesus, we follow you, we love you, and we follow you not just because you were good and set a good example and said and taught good things. We follow you because uh, you loved us enough to die for us. You loved us enough and you love us enough that you continually forgive us. You continually bless us, even in situations where we don't deserve it. But the cross, your death, is the epitome of how much you love us. So we take this this morning, this communion, this bread and this cup, as gratitude to you for your love for us and as our commitment to you that we want to follow you and we want to listen to your teaching and put it into practice because we believe that's the only way to experience the kind of life that we dream of deep in our souls. And uh, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.